Howdy! Welcome to 150, the big 150. Sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial. This is 150 straight weeks of Texas history brought to you every week from Sean, Scott, and Mike's heart. Right to your ears. <laughs> um, make sure you go to texaspodcast.fm. You get yourself a shirt to celebrate with us this week of 150 shows. Limited time only. Make sure that you are the coolest kid in school with one. And without further ado... Here's the show. It's like Texas version of 16 Candles. It's like, it's my <laughs> birthday. You should be paying attention to me. <laughs> Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In 1986, Texas celebrated something unique to its history, the 150th anniversary of becoming a state. All right, I can hear you getting angry out there. We actually got that wrong. We do quite a bit of reading and research for this show, and sometimes it gets jumbled up if we're speaking off the cuff. In our excitement to share our plans for this episode, we didn't take our usual care with the facts, so we are really sorry about that. And now, Scott. Now, what Texas did celebrate in 1986 was its 150th anniversary of independence from Mexico. Originally conceived as a deeply funded, centrally planned series of well-organized events, economic conditions turned into a hodgepodge of nearly 10,000 events, large and small, scattered throughout the state. It was a year-long Texas-sized birthday party known as the Texas Sesquicentennial. But first, what's your favorite song... By Janis Joplin. Well, I'm going to say a uh, piece of my heart because being a uh, relative babe in the woods when it comes to music, uh, that's the only one I can identify definitively as by being sung by Janis Joplin. Well, I, I would say uh, me and Bobby McGee, but I actually prefer uh, Johnny Cash's version of that song better. But what I really do like of Janis Joplin's is her version of Summertime, the George Gershwin classic. Awesome. I like it, it's good, but uh, I prefer the uh, Fresh Prince, DJ Jazzy Jeff, and the Fresh Prince version of that <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah, that is a pretty rock that summertime song, Scott. That may not be the same song. Eee, no, I don't not exactly. Well, you know, I'm going to throw out another one that isn't me and Bobby McGee. I like Mercedes Benz. Because Deep cut. Who doesn't deep love a Mercedes? Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Yeah. <laughs> nice deep cut, Mike. Texans, in case you didn't know, tend to have a lot of pride in their state. Pride in its size, pride in its geography, pride in its myth and legends, pride in its people. Much of that intrinsic pride, perhaps, stems from the state's historical quest for independence, which we have talked about at length in previous episodes. The Texan fight to throw off the yoke of a Mexican government they felt was no longer representative of their interests. So it's no surprise that when given the excuse and the opportunity to celebrate that hard-earned independence, Texas went big. Previously in our Monumental Texas episode about the centennial celebration in 1936, we talked about the vast amount of money spent on colossal monuments and a massive exposition at the Texas State Fair. When the 150th anniversary, the sesquicentennial, an odd word that no one had ever really heard of before, came around, the intention was to do something just as massive. The Texas Sesquicentennial Commission was all set for something similar in 1986, but some things happened to alter that 
monolithic and centralized strategy. Through the early 1980s, the Texas economy was riding high. Following the oil crisis of the late 1970s, U.S. oil producers had increased their production and started raking in the profits, of which, of course, Texas had a large share. Saudi Arabia had cut back on production to try and preserve their higher prices for crude oil, but their neighbors and partners in the Organization of the Petroleum-Producing Countries, OPEC, didn't cut back as much and left the Saudis to shoulder most of that burden of low prices and low production. So in December of 1985, Saudi Arabia decided they'd finally had enough and abandoned their attempts to control prices, and they greatly increased their production to grab a larger market share. So if they couldn't keep the prices high, then they were going to flood the market and try and get as much business as they could. What that meant was by July of 1986, the price of OPEC crude had dropped by more than half from about $23 a barrel to around $10 a barrel. It was actually slightly less than $10. It was about $9.80 or so. The sudden drop in price made the massive domestic production increasingly untenable in the United States. They just couldn't justify the expense of so many wells. The U.S. went from around 2,300 drill sites to less than 1,000. Over 100,000 oil industry workers were laid off in the first months of 1986. The latest oil boom had more or less come to an end, and Texas took its share of the hit. This was the somewhat depressing economic situation that Texas found itself in as its big sesquicentennial celebration year rolled around. So the plan changed. For example, the Texas Sesquicentennial Commission had planned a $16 million restoration of the state capital. But they only ended up with about $2 million after an expected 40 Texas firms, many of whom were dependent on the oil industry for their profits, didn't quite follow through on their $400,000 pledges. The legislature wasn't going to come to the rescue with tax dollars, though, because state funds were down overall. Tax revenue was dependent on the price of the barrel of oil. So the full restoration was scaled back, and it was mostly limited to cleaning up the statue on top and some other cosmetics changes. In true Texan fashion, of course, this wasn't going to stop anyone from celebrating. This was a big year. Instead of a huge centralized effort, thousands of grassroots events were organized. Local governments and organizations took it upon themselves to do their part in celebrating the rich history of independence in the Lone Star State. There were some big events happening, but uh, they just didn't have the huge expenditures and permanent monuments of the centennial from 50 years earlier. So there wasn't a massive project to... Uh, to build these huge things. They did, however, manage to open the whole thing up with a giant party. In February 1986, Dallas hosted Prince Charles of England at a big kickoff that included bagpipes, robots, and a 90,000-pound birthday cake that had to be assembled by heavy equipment. It was expected to feed 300,000 people. The bagpipers flown in from Scotland played The Yellow Rose of Texas, among other tunes as Charles left his plane. Why Prince Charles? And thanks for Britain's recognition of Texas after it split from Mexico, of course. Yeah, I read one interesting quote in my research where there was one of the bagpipers that had gotten flown in was like, I finally got to meet Prince Charles and I had to come to Texas to do it. Perhaps one of the most visible large-scale events was the sesquicentennial wagon train. This was a gigantic undertaking, and I actually remember this, and it involves hundreds if not thousands of horseback riders, volunteers, and support from individuals and businesses from all over the state. The concept was to traverse a circuit around the Lone Star State, bringing to life the frontier experience of the 1800s. The idea of the wagon train came from a woman named Jane France, 
an ironic it's, name, who strange. conceived of and she promoted it. The authors of Images of America, the Texas sesquicentennial wagon train, tracked her down 25 years later for their wonderful photo book. And when they finally got in touch after con- contacting many people and going through the Sulphur Springs Library, and this is actually where the city, uh, this is the city where the train started its journey back in January, she said, well, you could have found me on Facebook, <laughs> which is such an indictment of today's culture. Anyway, it shows the stark difference. That shows the stark difference between 1986 and 2016. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the point they're making in this article I read was that, you know, back then to, to follow this stuff, you had to follow the news media and you kind of had to, you know, you had to make yourself be interested in it. You had to be interested in it to follow it. Uh, whereas now everybody would follow it on Facebook and probably hardly anybody would show up in person. But actually what happened... <laughs> Unless there was an app for it. Right. So the Texas Sesquicentennial Wagon Train's goal was to travel all over the state, like we said, and they wanted to pick a route that came within 100 miles, at least, of every town in the state so that everyone in the state conceivably could come out and see this wagon train go by. Um, People dropped in and out of the train. I think the most they ever had was about 150 wagons, Um, and some people just joined on the weekends. They'd go home to their lives during the week, and on the weekends, they'd figure out where the wagon train was, and go out there and meet it. Uh, in fact, one of the authors of this book that took a lot of photos, that was what he did. He mostly was there on the weekends. When the train finished its run at the Fort Worth Stockyards on July 4, 1986, it was a great triumph and a great example of all of the many events throughout the year that had been conceived and championed by small groups and individuals. Um, and that's kind of what was cool about the whole sesquicentennial is like it wasn't this big state run thing, you know, with all these hugely organized events, but it was a lot of people saying, hey, this is a great thing to celebrate. We should celebrate this locally. And in fact, it was very hard when I was doing the research to um, find any good, like, this is the Texas sesquicentennial articles. I found a bunch of small articles about a bunch of local events um, that were you know, very local in scope. Um, and they all kind of fit in with the theme, and it was just, hey, we're celebrating our history. And, of course, one thing that unified everything was the Texas Sesquicentennial logo. Sesquicentennial! Um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was the official logo designed at the, you know, by the, the state, and it was used on, I think there was... About a hundred official products that were sold, but I am sure there were uh, many, many more that were unofficial. Um, so there were all sorts of T-shirts and flags and belt buckles and you name it. Um, much like there are Texas-shaped things of every variety, there were uh, nearly as many things bearing the Texas sesquicentennial logo. Sesquicentennial. So, uh, you know, maybe it's a good time to jump in and talk about some of our memories of 1986. Yeah, you know, that's kind of the funny thing is I remember it happening. I remember it being a big deal. I remember in school learning the word sesquicentennial and how to say it and what it meant and how to spell it. And, um, you know, I kind of remember it on that surface level, but I honestly don't remember a lot of stuff, you know, uh, know, specific yeah, I don't remember being like specific celebrations like, you know, I remember, like you, Scott, I remember the logo. I don't remember anything specific, but I do remember being excited about the time. Uh, I was trying to think, what year was, what grade were we in in 1986? 
I was trying uh, to figure that out too. I think we were in sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't quite my Texas history year. So um, I think that would have been a very eventful year to take your mandated Texas history class during the year of the sesquicentennial. But we did it the year after, so it's yeah. not like it's not like it was a big gap between it. But yeah, the one one thing that I always found interesting was like the the idea that there were flags with the sesquicentennial logo on them, because is the sesquicentennial the <laughs> logo is indeed like the Texas flag, a waving Texas flag, and it's kind of an angle, but it yeah. spells out the word sesquicentennial. So it's like there's a flag on a flag. <laughs> Flag on a flag. Well, if you want to but see I, what it looks like, just go to texaspodcast.fm and go see what it looks like. Yeah. Well, our mm. version of it, of course. Yeah, the best version it, it, of it. It is a very iconic logo. I, yeah, we were in we were in sixth grade when that came out. And so I lived in the town of Harold, which was in far north Texas, this tiny little school. Uh, but we were near a one, the Wagner Ranch, one of the biggest ranches in Texas. And I remember the wagon train because I think we had some some of the people that worked on the ranch that were part of that wagon train. I remember, I think we went into Wichita Falls to see it. Um, so that was a that was a big part of of that year was yeah the local things that occurred, um, and going you know we'd go like the state fair that year was also uh, was indeed part big part of the sesquicentennial was a big yeah. part of it. Yeah, they did have a big uh, thirty day I think. Uh, sesquicentennial celebration at the fair but uh again it wasn't like that big statewide thing they didn't build a lot of new buildings to celebrate the sesquicentennial like they did for the centennial yeah well like i was saying there's a, a big emphasis on local um locally scoped events um one of the places that we often go for our research is the official handbook of texas online and i did a search for sesquicentennial on there and I don't think there – I couldn't find just an article there about the Texas Esquicentennial. But what I found was pages and pages referencing the Texas Esquicentennial yeah. at the local level. So you'd see like one of the results would be the name of a city or a town and mention is like, hey, they had a Sesquicentennial celebration in 1986. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's like all these local things were happening that kind of collectively turned into this big statewide phenomenon. Yeah. And so, like, uh, for another example that still exists today is there's a park in Houston, Sesquicentennial Park, and it was built in 1986, and it was to honor the state Sesquicentennial. So you see a lot of that. I think uh, the Hemisphere, San Antonio, the Hemisphere Plaza, they did some renovations in 86, uh, and obviously, you know, the Alamo had a lot of activity in it in, in, in yep. uh, 1986. Think, that, think about in, in 1986 in Texas – like you said, it was a bad year because the 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 price bottomed out on oil. A lot of people were out of work. That was the first year of the savings and loan crisis as well, um, yep. which was, was a contributing. Just, yeah, the oil was, was a kicking con- off. Yeah, the, the oil oil glut was a was a contributing factor to that. But people were losing money in 1986 on a major basis. But I also remember 1986 was the year they did Hands Across America. I don't know if you guys were near that or you remember that, but Hands Across America went up to 87, which was right through Herald, and we participated, you know, in in Hands Across America. So there was, and then of course that was a year for USA for, or it was the year after for, year after We Are the World, and year after Live Aid. So it was interesting. There was there was a lot of things going on everywhere, uh, and like the big focus at the start of the year was going to be Texas sesquicentennial statewide and then it yeah it well it happened but then, it still happened right yeah. well that was it was the funny thing is i was like i remember 
So I remember that summer of we moved from uh, Gregory Portland, we moved to Pearsall, which is a home of George Strait and not much else, but it was a, a small town, <laughs> a lot of <clears throat> potatoes and, uh, and uh, out-of-work oil workers. Um, but what I do remember about some things about, you know, I was thinking like 86, 86, yeah, savings and loan crisis, Chernobyl, like uh, uh, the Challenger awesome. exploded. Yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah. And it was like, wow, like there was a, a lot of big things happened to cast a shadow on our very important birthday. And it's, <laughs> it's a bit like, it's like Texas version of 16 candles. It's like, it's my birthday. <laughs> You should be paying attention to me. Yeah. What I did find interesting in doing the research is, like I said, it was hard to find um, like one monolithic, like here is an account of the Texas sesquicentennial type of article to, you know, kind of set the stage. Um, some of the best writing that I found about the sesquicentennial was actually from newspapers outside of Texas. So it was from the perspective of other parts of the nation looking in at Texas. So it was very interesting to see that perspective. I think the, the two that stood out were the, the Chicago Tribune and uh, the paper in Philadelphia. And I was like, huh, that's interesting that two of the most comprehensive um, accounts of this Texan celebration were not published in Texas. And yeah. how did Texas Monthly let you down? Now, Texas Monthly... Um, well, in relation to this, uh, Texas Monthly, they have their bum steer awards that they do every year. And uh, the one for the sesquicentennial was particularly interesting because it was – they call out uh, James Mishner's uh, Texas as being just like nonstop Texan cliches and like how oh, yeah. ridiculous it was that it's like completely not real. It's supposed to be this big historical drama and it's like completely unrealistic. And, and it's wonderful and well, very long. <laughs> they're not debating the wonderfulness of it. Just, yeah. you know, they pull quotes out of it and say, like, these are all of the ridiculous, quote unquote, uh, Texanisms or whatever that are in that book. That's like, these are just horrible Texan cliches. But that whole book kind of was published in 1986 as a, or in the lead up to 1986 as a, you know, in conjunction with the sesquicentennial. So it was kind of. You yeah. know, a, a tangential a to that celebration. That that is actually the framing device of the book. Is is these this group of people that are a governor's advisory committee about the sesquicentennial. So it's actually part and parcel to the book. Now, here's an interesting counterpoint: is that um, in 1986, the winner of the Pulitzer Prize for literature was *Lonesome Dove* by Larry McMurtry. Well, so that is kind of ironic, but also appropriate. That um, it won the you know the best best fiction book of the year was a book about Texas. So thumbs up to that. So in the Another end, thing, we saved Texas's birthday. Yes. Good job. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's in in a lot of ways it's better that the, that the birthday was celebrated at a grassroots level because I I I, bear, I don't remember it, but I I know there's my parents do and people of our parents' generation remember, you know, just 10 years before the bicentennial celebration of the United States. And, and that was a big deal in a really harsh economic time. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it is interesting that, that Texas, you know, they still celebrated their birthday. They did it the right way in, yeah. in a very personal way rather well, than. Yeah. And another thing I came across a few more articles that were uh, started out as like, Hey, we didn't even, there was actually one by, uh, so you have to, have, see if I have to, can find the link um, again 
I, I didn't say that because it wasn't directly related, but it was written by uh, some missionaries that returned from Brazil, like in the middle of 1986, uh, to their small town, Texas home, when they're like, hey, we didn't even really know about this whole Texas sesquicentennial celebration, but we wanted to be involved. So, you know, we didn't really have any history locally that um, directly related to this you know, the the independence of Texas and all that, but here's some interesting local history. So basically the whole concept of the sesquicentennial got people excited at a local level about their history. And it's kind of what we're doing on our show is we want to find these stories of Texas and celebrate them, whether they're big or they're small. We want to highlight them and say, hey, here's some stuff that happened that we think is pretty cool. Well, I've yet to met a Texan who isn't excited to celebrate Texas. (laughs) <laughs> it's always like, yeah. It's like being part of the ultimate like uh, sorority or fraternity or fan club of you know we all have our own secret pin and our own secret handshake. So yeah, when you meet a well, Texan uh, on the road, you're always happy. Let me let me throw something out to you guys that that they're actually. I do remember Texas's statehood sesquicentennial, and I remember I was working at. Uh, on campus at UT Dallas in the student life office. And it was 90, 1995. And yep. someone said, Hey, it, it was April 20 or April 21st. Or somebody said, today's the sesquicentennial of statehood. And I was like, Oh, I remember the real sesquicentennial <laughs> 10, you know, nine years ago when it was the sesquicentennial. And, and we all got in a conversation about that. So it's maybe that's an interesting question. then to think about for all of you out there is, you know, um, some people say that we think of Texas as, you know, above and beyond uh, the U.S. and that we're not American, you know, we're Texans first and Americans second. And, uh, I, you know, I always tell people that uh, we're, we're taught uh, world history, you're taught American history, and then you take the best class of all Texas history in school, uh, which only proves that uh, Texas is equally as important as America, which is equally as important as the world. And that's all you need to know about us Texans. <laughs> no, it's a uh, it is it is funny because it's the lib- it's the celebration of breaking away from Mexico and not the celebration of joining the United States. And yeah. that seems to be the one we hang hang our hat on, <laughs> even though it was a very short bankrupt run. Well, we're the only state other than Hawaii that was an independent nation, right? At least as far as um, Anglo reckoning goes. Yeah. So we have talked uh, in length about the Texas sesquicentennial of 1986. So let's uh, piggyback on that for our own selfish purposes and talk about our own come and take it sesquicentennial. This is our 150th uh, weekly episode of this podcast. Sesquicentennial! Sesquicentennial! Yeah, it's interesting for the people who are, are into statistics. Like uh, every this is 150 consecutive Mondays that we've been able to bring you a show. And before we jump into our happy memories, I'll just say thanks to Sean and Scott for helping pitch in and produce this. And also to our friends James and Paul who've pitched in to help write episodes. So thanks to everyone who's part of the show. Yeah, thank you, Mike and Sean. This is very much a labor of love, and if I didn't like either of you guys, then I wouldn't be here. Aww. So uh, I enjoy this, and I enjoy talking about Texas history. I enjoy learning about Texas history. Um, I've learned um, a lot 
doing this, and I hope we can continue doing it for a long time to come. Oh, well, let's let's throw out some favorite episodes. Sean, what's something you love that we did? Uh, well, I I am inordinately proud of the Santa Ana series, uh, just because I took us we took a subject that shouldn't be popular or even interesting, and yet I found the man fascinating. It didn't, and it changed my opinions of him in some ways. I did. He's no longer the Darth Vader evil guy. He was more the uh, Dick Cheney, Karl Rove, political animal type <laughs> guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I, I have to agree with you that that was one of my favorite things that we did because it was so um, kind of off the beaten path as far as when you talk about Texas history. Um, I had never personally delved that deeply into uh, Santa Ana as a, as a person and as something separate than his role in the Texan fight for independence. So go back and listen to that one because that was, that was a real shocker for us of, wow, this guy's great. Two parts. Well, Chewy I don't gum. know if I'd say he was great. He was, it's, it's one of the most interesting, interesting and surprising. <laughs> it's, a, it's interesting in a surprising way. Well, you know, I think it was a stress. I'll I'll throw one out there. It was super stressful, super fun to do, and we had a lot of fun on Twitter watching Texas Rising <laughs> on the on the air quotes History Channel. Um, fantastic Suffering actors, through. great costumes, and yep, yep. terrible locations. Uh, and bad <laughs> history. Awful dialogue. Awful I, I, if there is a Hall of Fame for. Um, messing up the geography and the the geography and well the events they they got the highlights right but it, it was mostly the geography and i was going to say the climate the general uh, biomes of texas um if there was an award for the worst then uh texas rising would probably win that well i just I, I yeah. at least at least hide with the x-files uh with the mountains behind just outside of Dallas. Of Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, look, here's the thing. Uh, you know, there, they were again, we, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of stressful, but I probably, I've never seen Sean more angry slash joyful at the same time of, of apoplectic, like, I think is apoplectic. That's the word. Appropriate word yeah, so it was, it was just, it was the perfect storm of just, I'm having a ball tearing this to shreds. And, there and were just never any th- buffaloes in Nacogdoches. <laughs> and just when you think you get through it all, uh, Santa Ana goes and hides in the caves at San Jacinto. <laughs> <laughs> With no scuba gear. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Texas Rising was fun. We enjoyed that. Um, I particularly enjoyed the joint episode we did with our special guests from the Bohemian podcast when we did our Czech Texas episode where we talked about the, uh, the history of Czechs in Texas. Um, that was particularly enjoyable for me because, um, my wife has a, her family, um, has direct ties to the, the Czechs from, uh, old Texas. So that was a lot of fun to kind of delve into the details of that history. Yeah. And meeting with those guys was a lot of fun. And I, I want to hearken back to our, first collaborative episode with uh, Stephen Guerra of the uh, History of the Papacy podcast where we did the missions of Texas and the role of missions in the history of Texas and the Catholic Church in the history of Texas. So that episode was was very illuminating and, and enlightening. And, and I know Stephen has said he learned a lot about Texas and so did Travis and Pete. Uh, they learned a lot about Texas. Uh, one thing I liked about the, the Czech podcast was uh, 
when Pete showed up with a Texas A&M hat uh, on our on our Skype yeah. video, live from so, Prague, live from yeah. Prague, but he 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 had his Aggie hat, so that was really cool to to kind of see. That was fun. Um, you know, I I went back and listened to some of the early episodes uh, recently, and I, I'll tell you what, like we had a lot of fun telling some of those stories about legends of Texas wrestling. <laughs> I think that was yeah. that's just a fun episode. Just uh, and I think that you know early on, but but I really kind of had fun. So yeah, well, I enjoyed that episode, and it still sticks in my mind because it was one of our earliest episodes, and I think it really helped us establish the tone that we'd like to have uh, for all of our episodes. We don't quite get there with every one of them, but uh, I, th- I think that uh, it really shows how much fun we had with that subject. Yeah, that that was a fun episode just because of the I I think because one of the things was the connection with that Mike had with legendary nineteen uh, sixties oh. wrestler fifties wrestler uh, yeah the legendary nineteen fifties and sixties wrestler Wild Bull Curry uh, and his Mike's grandmother uh, the story that that came out of that and and uh, that was a lot of fun yeah like those so, those good yeah so everybody go back and listen to the the Legends of Texas Wrestling episode, um, especially because coming up very, very soon, we are going to dive deeper into one of the subjects of that podcast. We're going to be talking about the Von Erich family. Um, multi-parter coming up. No so, spoilers yeah. on that one. Refresh your memory and prepare yourself. And they, they were around in this 1986 period, so we're, we're kind of sticking in the 80s for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a blast. Um you know, I, I, I recently there's a new hit podcast. The uh, Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Period. If you happen to catch that, I or if you happen to know Mr. Washington, uh, I would suggest that you go and listen to our Britt Johnson episode, as I think that would be a fantastic Man on Fire movie. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be a good role for Denzel. That would be the ultimate. We're talking multiple Oscars, folks. It's the one to one to do. <laughs> Um, another thing that we've really enjoyed doing on this show is uh, talking about musical icons from Texas. Um, we did a big two-parter on uh, the red-headed stranger himself, Willie Nelson. Uh, we enjoyed that immensely. Um, he's got a rich and colorful history that we enjoyed. And uh, also, more recently, we did the, the episode that we titled Texas Rock which kind of delves into the uh, Texan music that you wouldn't necessarily call Texan. Um, so those are two good examples, but if you look back in our catalog, we've got a lot of great shows about different musicians yeah. that Buddy call Allen Texas the Big yeah? Yeah. yeah, Buddy Allen and the Big Bopper. We've got, we did one on Roy Orbison just a few weeks ago. Um, I do have a correction on the Roy Orbison episode. Um, my dad told me that... He, in fact, he was not beat up by Royerson's younger brother, Sammy. Uh, he just was threatened that if Sammy oh, okay. threatened him, he would beat him up if he didn't steal candy out of the school store. So uh, that is a correction. We strive for accuracy on our show. So sorry, Dad. I didn't mean to imply yeah. that, that Sammy Orbison beat you up. Accurate uh, stories of Texas him. history. Yep. And speaking yeah, of which, uh, since we're still talking about musicians, um, I believe we got it wrong when we talked about Stevie Ray Vaughan and how he played his guitar. Um, he is not left-handed. This, but yes, he was not left-handed. He is right-handed, so, but he plays a left-handed guitar. Okay. So it's upside down. It's strung backwards. Uh, that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's a distinction. Um, yeah. I'm going to go back, but we want to be accurate. So if you hear something and you're like, you guys are totally wrong, 
um, please let us know. We want to hear from you, especially when we're wrong, so that we can learn and uh, not tell people the wrong thing. Hey, if Love in Texas history is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> I just want to circle back to one more thing. You know, we talked about the, the, the Texas wrestling and Mike's connection to Wild Bull Curry. I really have enjoyed the episodes where we've where we've had a personal connection with the stories. Um, for me, it was the Wink episode uh, and Boomtown because of my yeah Boomtowns and my family's connection there. Um, I know I, I really enjoyed the uh, the episode on Panna Maria. Um, yes, and Mike's connection and his history with that and. You know, Scott's had some episodes as well that the, the episode in Galveston uh, with Scott's uncle <laughs> and the stories yeah. about Galveston. Um, so those are the stories where, you know, I really enjoy recording the most because you can you and listening to you can feel our connection to those stories coming out to build on what Sean just said, we we love that personal connection to stories. And what we'd like to do, and we'd really like you to help us out with this, is we want to hear the personal stories that you guys have, you guys that are listening. We wouldn't be continuing to do this probably if we didn't know that there were you guys out there listening to us. So if you have got some personal stories, personal connections to any of these stories that we've discussed, or personal story, personal connections to stories that we haven't talked about, um, let us know. Give us uh, give us some input and give us some ideas for what you might like to hear. Give us uh, give us that connection to you, our listeners, so that we can uh, you know make this something more personal for everyone. Yeah, I was just thinking it's funny that there are so many people out there that know all of this crazy stories and history of all of us, and we don't know anything about you. So drop us a line. Yeah, and if you're looking for an easy uh, prompt on what to send us, what are your memories of the Texas Sesquicentennial of 1986? Um, we'd like to hear about it. Um, we know, like we said, there's a whole lot of different local events all over the state. Um, we obviously don't know about all of them. Um, tell us about it. We we want to know. Well, there you go. So, two last things before we go. One. You are not wearing a shirt that says, come and take it. Get You to- may not be wearing a shirt. Either way. <laughs> Either I way, you need one. <laughs> go put on a shirt that says, come and take it. But not just any generic one you buy at your local Bucky's. Go to TexasPodcast.fm or look for the links on our page, and you can go and buy one right now and have it in no time at all. And uh, proceeds, a portion of the proceeds from each one of these T-shirts is going to go toward... Uh, relief to the flood victims of the recent uh, Brazos Valley flooding. Because remember, the Brazos Valley is kind of the cradle of Texan independence insofar as that's where the first capital was. And that's where the Declaration of Independence, the Texan Declaration of Independence was signed at Washington on the Brazos. So let's celebrate the sesquicentennial, both the actual Texan sesquicentennial of 1986 and our own personal come-and-take-it sesquicentennial. Um, and help out some folks that sure could use it. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. 
And I'm Scotticus. You love Texas. You love celebrating. You love Texas birthday parties. So tell your friends all about this wonderful show and leave a review on iTunes because it helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. And I was going to say, and also, if you'd like, buy a t-shirt. Sesquicentennial! Sesquicentennial! We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.